Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. Hello, Ivy Church. Hello, Ivy Church. Welcome to Ivy Church. I'm a jumper. Carry on, Ivy Church. Good to see you. Welcome to Ivy Church. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. Many of us had then life events and personal loss that we needed to walk through, we needed to process, we needed to lament. And I know there will be griefs galore in this room. We live in a fallen world and sometimes it falls on us. And this is true particularly for my husband, Rich, and I. So after a year of lockdown, You know what it's like, the restrictions lifting, lockdown again. Our then 12-year-old daughter, Lauren, started complaining of headaches, and at the very end of February 21, we ended up in A&E. On Monday, March the 1st, 21, she was taken into a children's cancer ward. On the Wednesday, she had an MRI scan that confirmed a brain tumor, and on the Friday, she had brain surgery to remove the tumor. Now, she recovered incredibly well from that surgery and surprised everyone by walking out of hospital five days later. She then turned 13 on the 14th of March, 21. But at the end of March, Rich and I received the results of lab tests on the tumour, which showed that it was a grade 4 tumour which meant it was a serious prognosis. But you know, we live with a belief in the supernatural, the God of the impossible, so we couldn't just shrug our shoulders and go, oh, well then, that's it. We knew that God has the final say, and so we began believing for a different outcome. And we we saw just so many wonderful friends join with us in going after a miracle. Lauren knew it was serious, but she didn't know how serious. She had six weeks of combined radio and chemo, and she was amazing. She just sailed through it, go to school all day, every day, get home. We'd drive an hour to the hospital for radiotherapy, an hour back, and most of the drive was taken up with her singing her way through the playlist that she had made for that season, a playlist that was made of her favourite worship songs and upbeat, really cheesy party songs. And there were times I glanced across at her and I wished I could bottle those moments of such joy and such strength. Then we'd get home from radiotherapy, she'd take chemo tablets, get up the next morning and go to school. And then after the six weeks of combined treatment, she had a bit of a break and then started on higher dose chemo. And we were praying big, bold prayers as a family and were joined by this huge cohort of prayers. And Lauren loved defying all the medical expectations and the predictions of how poorly she should be. And she lived such a normal life that at times it was hard to believe that there was this potential death threat over her. But then at the end of September 21, she started to say that her back and shoulders were hurting, started to ask for hot water bottles for her back. And then on holiday, it was the October half-term in Wales, she threw up and with a sinking feeling, 
I rang the hospital. We ended up back in hospital. She went for another MRI scan. And the following day, Friday, October the 22nd, the results came in. I'd stayed overnight with her in hospital, and that morning we read her Bible reading plan together, and it was Psalm 131, and it said, but I have calmed and quieted myself. I'm like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. And we had talked together that morning what it means to kind of sit on Father God's lap and to be, to be quieted by the love of God. And then mid-morning, the consultant came to me to say the results were in and I should call my husband so we could hear them together. So Rich came in and we went into a side room and the consultant showed us the MRI scan that said there were tumors down Lauren's spine, her neck, and over the lining of her brain. We were told she had weeks or months to live and that they would stop the chemo as it was doing nothing. And we went back to the ward to her bed and Rich sat behind her and just bear hugged her and I sat in front of her and said, darling, the scan has shown that the cancer has spread, which is why your neck and your back are hurting. They're saying that you have weeks or months to live. But again, the doctors do not have the final say. There is still hope for a miracle or there is the hope of heaven. And I said to her, if you go ahead of us to heaven, you will see Jesus. And you will see your Uncle James, Rich's brother, who had died a a few months before. And you'll see your brother Josiah. We had a, a baby son who died about 17 years ago. And because time is different in heaven, it will feel as though you've hardly been there any time at all. And then you'll look back behind you and we'll be arriving to join you. And as we told her, she was distressed for a few minutes, and then she calmed down. We rang our oldest daughter, who had just started at uni. She got on the train home. We told our family and our friends, and on the way home, we again listened to her playlist of worship music. And when we got home, we asked her what she wanted to do the next day, which was a Saturday, and she said she wanted to go bowling. So I was like, okay, let's go bowling. And then on the Sunday, we asked her what she wanted to do, and she said she wanted to go to church to be with our church family. And so we did. And we actually rang some of our closest friends and said, would you meet us on the way there? Uh, which, was, which was amazing to walk in, everybody there knowing the news, and have like this sort of bodyguard, this entourage of friends, and they came and sat to the left of us, to the right, in front, and behind us so that we could feel safe. And then she went into school one last time, and she spent some time with her closest friends, seven girls, all a little group of them, mostly non-Christians, and she told them that there was hope of a miracle, or there was hope of heaven, and that she wasn't afraid. And she went that week as well, to youth group. And at one point that week, she shared with us a picture she felt God had given her, and she also posted it on the WhatsApp group. And this was the picture that God gave her. She said, it was of me standing on God's feet while he was walking, like a little child on their parents' feet. He was holding my hands, and he was in control of which way we were going. God was shining very brightly, and it felt like he surrounded me. For me, it shows that God's got this journey, and he is in control. 
And then over the next week after she got that picture, some big changes started to happen, starting firstly with her legs not working anymore and needing to be carried. And then gradually she, she lost the use of her arms and then her hands and then her neck. But she was still fully Lauren. This was what amazed me. She was still encouraging us. She was still making us laugh, still instructing us what she needed, still being grateful. It was quite incredible to watch her. And we became her hands and feet. And then by the 9th of November, we needed to be transferred to a children's hospice. We needed more help, more specialist equipment. And on the first day as we arrived there, now 13 and a half, she looked around and just said, Mummy, I think I'm going blind. The last nine days of her life, the hospice room became a really thin place. We were all together, the four of us, and she was surrounded by love and worship and prayer. And we never left her sight, telling her that Jesus was going to come and touch her very soon and she would either dance on earth or she would dance in heaven. And you know, she was never afraid and she showed zero fear of death or dying. It was really quite incredible to watch. There was so much prayer going on and she just had this supernatural grace over her. She never panicked, she never got angry, she never lashed out. And it was the most extraordinary thing to watch your child it almost felt like she became a woman and she led us. She just show, she showed me how, I would, how I'd want to die. And so those prayers for God's peace and, the, and, and God's grace were answered, but the big prayer for healing wasn't answered. And we miss her very, very much. And it leaves a huge gap and it goes so, so deep. And it will be a loss, a deep loss that we will live with for the rest of our lives. So for us, this last season has been incredibly painful. But there have been some things that we have held onto that have kept us walking, have kept us going, that even have the possibility of turning hard, rocky ground into fertile ground. And, you know, we're not alone in our loss. We're so aware there are, there's so much grief, there's so much loss from this last season. And you can't compare loss with loss. I think we've all experienced pain. We've all experienced heartache. You may feel that your God assignment now just feels so much harder, fewer resources, maybe less people, less capacity, and then your own stuff, your own pain to have to deal with. But you know that parable of the sower, a good farmer doesn't just give up on hard soil and say, oh well, let's just abandon that field. A good farmer works the ground, tills the hard soil and sees it change from something full of rocks into fertile soil. We can't choose or change what has happened to us, but I am a really firm believer that we can choose our response. And for leaders to turn hard seasons into growth and fruitfulness, 
I think we need a few convictions to operate with. And number one as leaders, we need to face our pain. The tempting thing, the, the incredibly tempting thing is to avoid facing pain. To get busy, that's the classic for church leaders. Get busy so we don't need to deal with our stuff. We don't need to feel the feelings because they hurt. I just want to encourage you as leaders, face your pain. If you don't, it will come back and bite you. So do the counterintuitive thing and create the space to lament your loss, to own your stuff, to feel the feelings. Cry as much as you can, men and women. God has given us the ability to cry because it's an incredibly effective way of releasing pain, of processing emotion. As my husband says, real men can cry. I really believe that. Tears are sacred to God. And grief, the feelings of grief are brutal. And I, I do understand why people will try and, you know, pain push, get busy, try and maybe numb the pain. I understand that. I get it. Because it hurts. You know, heartache is literally that. Your heart actually aches. It is physical pain. A broken heart is broken. You you carry physical pain when you are grieving. But if you allow yourself to feel it gradually, bit by bit, the intensity of that pain does ease. One of the best books we've read on grief and loss is A Grace Disguised by Jerry Sitzer. And in it, he uses this phrase. He says, go east. When you're in pain, go east. Because in loss and pain, we desperately want to go west. We are drawn to go towards the the setting sun, the old story, maybe trying to get back to the life that we used to have, or maybe as leaders, trying to get back to the church that we used to have. But this book was just so helpful because it just said it's better Again, do the counterintuitive thing and go east. Walk into the darkness. Face the pain and keep walking through the darkness knowing eventually the sun will rise on the east and it will be a new story. Not necessarily the story that you wanted. We we would desperately, we would do anything to go back to the old story with Lauren part of our lives. But there's something about walking through the darkness, trusting that when we go east, the sun will rise and there will be light again. There will be hope again. There will be even joy again. And if you've not really faced the pain of what the locusts have eaten, I want to really urge you as leaders, please, for your sake and for the sake of those you lead and for the sake of the broken world that is around us, please face your pain. Go there. If you've got unresolved grief or unprocessed pain, it will limit your effectiveness as a leader. So even while we're here, even... You know, the time that we're going to have as as, uh, this session uh, comes to an end, ask God to help lift the lid and release your pain.
pain. Name your emotions before God. He can handle any emotion. He made them. Name your emotions before God because emotions that are mentionable are emotions that are manageable. Anger, fear, unforgiveness. Name those emotions before God. So that's number one, face your pain. I think as, as leaders, number two, recognize there is a primary loss of suffering that happens to us. It just does because life is broken. Loss will happen to our lives, our families, our churches, and we don't get to choose that. However, there is a secondary loss, which is what happens in us. The primary loss is what happens to us, life circumstances. The secondary loss, if we let it happen, is what happens in us. And that's the bit that we can choose It will only happen if we let it. And one of the main enemy tactics when a believer is in pain is to distort that believer's image of the goodness of God. That's a really effective enemy strategy. And we've seen that happen time and time again. And if we turn our face away from Father God, we begin to invite secondary loss into the deepest part of who we are. And so as leaders, it's really important we stay facing God in the midst of all the pain, the heartache, the confusion, our anger, our despair, because he's big enough. Sometimes I've had a picture of almost beating my arms on God's chest. Like, it's not fair, but I'd rather do it facing God than turn my back because the minute I know I turn my back, I am in big trouble. It's so important that we stay facing Father God in our pain. To be able to say from the deepest place, my life makes no sense right now, but yet God, I will still trust you. And I think there's times where faith means we walk through the middle of pain and we don't turn our face away from the Father. I was really helped by just realizing on the cross, Jesus says both these things. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then moments later, a declaration of trust, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. I think we're able to do that in pain. We're able to say things that when we're not in pain, we wouldn't say to God. You know, because I know that God hasn't abandoned us and yet there's been times, being really honest with you, where it felt like that. But Jesus was able to express both heartache and pain and confusion and yet deeper still is trust. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. That is trust. We must not let our pain shape our image of God. We must let our image of God shape our pain. And keeping worshipping is key. This is what I know you will say to those that you lead, but you have to model it. There were times, you know, we were committed to being with our church family. The Sunday after she got that prognosis, even the Sunday after Lauren died, we were there with our church family. And for many, many, many weeks, there were times when as soon as the, 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 sort of the instruments would start and worship would begin, I'd just start to cry. I couldn't sing the words. But even though I couldn't sing, I would raise my hands because it was a sign of, I am still worshiping you, God. I physically, there's a lump in my throat, tears are down my face, and even at times the words seem too incongruous to even be able to sing, but I'm still going to worship you even if the only thing I can do with my body is I will stand here with my hands raised because, God, I love you and I trust you, but this really hurts. 
And so keep worshipping. Bill Johnson recently lost his wife, Benny, to cancer, and he said this, this is the only opportunity I will ever have to give to God the gift of pain in my offering of worship. Because once we're there in glory, there'll be no pain. We'll be worshipping endlessly. There's only a little moment now where we can give to God the gift of pain in our worship. So secondary loss is what happens if we allow it to, if we turn our face away from the Father. It can also happen in our relationships. And again, I know as leaders, it can be hard at times when we're in pain. We made the decision that we were going to let people into our pain and let people into our journey. And I'm, you know, the tempting thing to do when we're grieving or, or, or going through pain is to withdraw relationally. The counterintuitive thing is to step in, even when you feel like people are not going to know what to say. But we made that choice to step into relationships, and I'm so glad we did. Our small group have been amazing, journeyed with us every single week, even came to the hospice when we were there. We met in the car park, we broke bread together. Dig into your relationships. And in terms of our heart, pain is not an excuse for taking offence. When we're in pain, it's really easy to ratch up offence and unforgiveness. Don't allow that to happen. We can still make good choices and guard our hearts and keep our hearts soft. We know they are the wellspring of life. And in terms of our commitments, you know, we, we know that uh, marriages take a battering, particularly after the loss of a child. But I think we've just felt so kind of like we've been robbed of so much. Two of our three children have gone ahead of us, but we will not be robbed of our marriage. And so one of the things that we've done is um, most nights broken bread together because that is just a really good way of like, whatever our days have been, you know, some of you who know about grief, there can be paternal grief and maternal grief, and then you've, own, you've got your own unique relationship with the child that you've lost, you know. You can journey differently and different personalities. But every time we made this commitment, breaking bread together, and that meant that we just stayed connected because we stayed connected at the deepest part of who we are. And as we broke bread, again, we're just living with that sense of a day is coming when all will be made right. A day is coming when we will be reunited with Lauren again, that Jesus has defeated death. You know, like breaking bread has just become so dear and so important to us. We join in. It reminds us of that wedding feast that is to come. And it's a connection. It's like we bring our brokenness. We connect with Christ's body that was broken. And then, as leaders, we need a theology that embraces both healing and suffering. It helps to have a wide perspective and a long perspective. A wide perspective says that across history and across the globe, suffering is a part of life. And I believe in the UK, we are going to need to know that like never before, because the shaking actually has only just started. You know, most of the legends of the faith that we know in the UK lost children. Charles Wesley lost five out of his eight children, and yet he was a man of such deep worship. And the long perspective said that this earthly life, it's just a blip of our eternal existence. So let's make sure that we are building things of eternal value because people are the only thing that we can take with us. 
Everything else gets left behind. I feel even more compelled to share the gospel for however long I've got left because people, precious people, are the only thing that we can take with us. And then lastly, in terms of the vows and the commitments that we make as Christ followers. You know, sometimes people talk about keeping our vows, but I think our vows keep us. Our marriage vows keep us. Some of our commitments to Christ. When I was 30, I wrote a kind of a vow to Jesus, and in it I said, I refuse to get jaded and cynical, but I will stay, I will stay childlike in my faith and my trust. That's been tested but I've learned what it is to deal with disappointment because unprocessed disappointment leads to disillusionment and unprocessed disillusionment leads to cynicism and cynicism is a killer. So our commitments are so important. The commitments we make to Christ in the good times hold us in the hard times. I want to end with this poem or this note that was found in the desk of a pastor who was martyred in Zimbabwe more than 100 years ago. I like the vows of this man. I am part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have Holy Spirit power. The die has been cast, I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made, I am a disciple of his. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away or be still. My past is redeemed, my present makes sense and my future is secure. I'm finished with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colourless dreams, tamed visions, worldly talking, cheap giving and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudity or popularity. I don't have to be right. I don't have to be first, recognised, praised, rewarded or regarded. I now live by faith. I lean on his presence. I walk by his patience. I am uplifted by prayer and I labour in power. My pace is set. My gate is fast, my goal is heaven, my road is narrow, my way rough, my companions few, but my guide is reliable and my mission is clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of the adversary, negotiate at the table of the enemy, pander at the pool of popularity or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up. Let up until I have stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up and preached up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus. I must go until he comes, give until I drop, preach till all know and work until he stops me. And when he comes for his own, he will have no problem recognising me because my banner will be clear. Amen. Hi, I'm Anthony Delaney. I'd love to welcome you to Ivy Church. Do check out the website, click on a few buttons, look at some previous teaching and some of the other things that we've been involved with. 
And why not plan to join us soon at one of our locations? Join a grow group. Do the alpha course and figure out for yourself what it is that Christians believe. Or if you've got anything we can pray about, be in touch. Press the contact button so that you can email us. Let us know about you and how we hope you can be part of us. Come and join us at Ivy Church.